Welcome to Conference Coverage Highlights, presented by ReachMD on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Conference Coverage Highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the 69th Annual Scientific Sessions of the American Diabetes Association. This meeting took place June 5th through the 9th, 2009 in New Orleans. I'm your host, Sue Berg. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Mark Kina. The American Diabetes Association 69th Scientific Sessions attracted more than 13,000 researchers, physicians, and other healthcare professionals from around the world. The meeting featured over 700 presentations and oral abstracts that addressed advances in basic research, diagnosis, and the treatment of diabetes. Highlights of the meeting included new sub-analyses of the VA Diabetes Trial. The VA Diabetes Trial, whose findings were presented at last year's meeting, randomly assigned about 1,800 diabetic U.S. veterans to intensive glucose control or standard therapy, then followed them on average for about six years. The results of the trial suggested intensive glucose control did not significantly reduce cardiovascular events. The new sub-analyses identify which patients are likely and which are not likely to benefit from the therapy. Patients who initiated intensive glucose control within 15 years of diagnosis of type 2 diabetes had a significantly lower risk of heart attacks, strokes, and death. In patients who had diabetes for 10 to 15 years, intensive glucose control reduced the risk of heart attacks and strokes by 40%. However, patients who initiated intensive glucose control between 16 and 20 years after diagnosis reaped no benefits. Likewise, intensive glucose control nearly doubled the risk of cardiovascular events in patients who had diabetes for over 21 years. The investigator said that intensive control is appropriate in the first 15 years after diagnosis, unless other factors are present, such as hypoglycemia, which would contraindicate intensive treatment. They added that in light of their findings, intensive treatment should not be initiated if the individual has already had diabetes for 20 years. Further studies needed to determine if patients on intensive glucose control can safely continue the treatment beyond the 20-year mark. The new sub-analyses also showed that increasing high-density lipoprotein levels was strongly linked with better outcomes. In addition, investigators found that severe hypoglycemia was associated with an 88% increased risk of cardiovascular events and an increased mortality risk by threefold. Researchers also presented the results of the Whitehall 2 study. The Whitehall 2 was a 10-year study in which British and Danish researchers followed about 6,500 civil servants who were diabetes-free at baseline. 505 patients subsequently developed diabetes. Significant metabolic changes were observed among the diabetics, including a linear increase in fasting glucose, which spiked three years before diagnosis, a rapid decrease in insulin sensitivity during the five years before diagnosis, and increased B-cell function that began three to four years before diagnosis. These findings suggest that people with prediabetes are already on the steep part of the glucose trajectory. The authors conclude that their findings have implications for screening and prevention. They hypothesize that preventive measures would be more effective before patients reach the steep part of the glucose trajectory, which in turn may substantially delay the onset of diabetes, though more research is needed to successfully identify people at this stage of disease development. The study was published in The Lancet on June 8th. 
The authors of an accompanying comment published in The Lancet expressed doubt that the study's findings would allow clinicians to identify at-risk individuals significantly prior to the onset of the disease. They write in their comment that the sensitivity and specificity of the forward predictions would be poor and that efforts should be intensified to uncover the pathologic factors precipitating development of diabetes. A study supported by Merck and Company suggests a link between depression and low insulin sensitivity, as well as a link between depression treatment and decreased insulin resistance. Though recent research has shown links between depression and insulin resistance, the relationship between insulin sensitivity and depression that is treated versus untreated depression in adults at risk for type 2 diabetes is not well understood. Researchers analyzed patients enrolled in a diabetes prevention program. Nearly 90% of the patients were female, over half were white, and the majority were obese. Insulin sensitivity was calculated using the whole-body insulin sensitivity method, and depression was measured on the Centers for Epidemiologic Studies depression scale. Patients were classified as non-depressed, treated for depression, and untreated for depression. Researchers found that patients with untreated depression had significantly lower insulin sensitivity than non-depressed patients and patients being treated for depression were similarly sensitive to insulin as patients without depression. These findings remained consistent after controlling for physical activity. The results indicate that treatment for depression in adults at risk for type 2 diabetes may improve insulin resistance. Further research may determine whether treatment for depression helps delay or decrease the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. A new report analyzed the action to control cardiovascular risk in diabetes, or a CORD trial, and suggests that intensively lowered glucose levels alone might not be the cause of excess mortality. The original ACCORD trial reported a 22% increased risk of death associated with the study's intensive strategy to aggressively lower patients' hemoglobin A1C levels below 6%. The trial was stopped after an average of 3.5 years of treatment, two years before the trial was expected to end. The new analysis did not support low A1C levels as the cause of excess mortality. Researchers said that an A1C below 7% does not appear to explain the excess deaths. Also, they said that the rate of change in A1C over one year showed a greater decline in A1C was associated with a lower risk of death. Researchers are looking into other factors to explain the higher risk of death, including hypoglycemia, weight gain, and drug interaction. On examining the role of hypoglycemia, they noted that of the 451 patients who died during the ACCORD trial, 7% had at least one severe hypoglycemic event. However, hypoglycemic patients in the trial who received intensive therapy had a lower risk of death compared to patients receiving standard therapy. One theory to explain this was that patients in the intensive arm of the study were followed more closely by healthcare providers and had frequent but milder hypoglycemic events because they had learned to recognize the warning signs of hypoglycemia and treat themselves before such events became severe. There were a trio of studies on the safety and efficacy of a new form of inhaled insulin known as Technosphere Insulin, which goes by the brand name Afresa. The studies were sponsored by the Mankind Corporation in Valencia, California. One study showed that Afresa has an onset of action similar to that of endogenous insulin. A second study showed that Afresa plus the long-acting analog Glargine was associated with A1C reductions comparable to Afresa plus the rapid-acting analog Lispro. But Afresa was associated with significantly lower risk of weight gain and hypoglycemia. 
A third study assessed pulmonary function among 730 diabetics who received a FRESA, 824 diabetics who received standard care, and 145 healthy controls. After two years, the researchers found that there were no significant group differences in the mean change in forced expiratory volume in one second. Sponsor Mankind Corporation's Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer Dr. Peter Richardson said in a statement that current mealtime insulin therapies, while accepted as an effective means to control glucose levels, have several limitations. Dr. Richardson went on to say that these findings indicate that Afresa may be a promising new treatment option with less weight gain and lower risk of hypoglycemia compared with current mealtime insulin therapy. In patients with type 2 diabetes, once daily liraglutide may be superior to twice daily exenatide. Adults whose diabetes was inadequately controlled with the drugs metformin, sulfonylurea, or both were randomly assigned to 1.8 milligrams of additional liraglutide once daily or exenatide twice daily. Efficacy analyses were by intention to treat. Patients' baseline hemoglobin A1c levels were about 8.2% on average. Liraglutide reduced average A1C levels significantly more than exenatide, and more patients who took liraglutide achieved levels below 7%. Liraglutide also reduced average fasting plasma glucose more than exenatide. Weight loss with both drugs was between 6 and 7 pounds. Though both drugs were well tolerated, there was less nausea with liraglutide. Risk of hypoglycemia was low in both cases, with an average of two hypoglycemic events per year in patients taking liraglutide, compared with two and a half per year in patients taking exenatide. These findings suggest that liraglutide taken once a day improved glycemic control over exenatide twice daily and may be a treatment option for type 2 diabetes. Funding for this study came from Novo Nordisk. Research was also presented showing that the investigational drug alaglitazar may be superior to pioglitazone. Researchers were interested in the potential of peroxisome proliferator activated receptor or PPAR agonists for patients with type 2 diabetes, despite previous reports of potential adverse cardiovascular effects. The study was called the Synchrony Study. The study's aim was to establish the glucose lowering and lipid modifying effects, as well as the safety profile of the dual PPAR alpha and PPAR gamma agonist aliglitazar. Investigators conducted a randomized double-blind study with 332 type 2 diabetes patients from seven countries. Patients received once daily doses of either the drug aliglitazar, placebo, or open-label pioglitazone once daily as a reference for 16 weeks. Efficacy was measured by the change in glycosylated hemoglobin concentration from baseline to the end of treatment. Investigators found that aliglitazar significantly reduced baseline hemoglobin A1c compared to placebo in a dose-dependent manner. Side effects, including edema, hemodilution, and weight gain were observed and were also dose-dependent. Edema occurred at about the same frequency as with placebo and less than with pioglitazone. Weight gain was also less frequent in patients taking aliglitazar compared to those taking pioglitazone. Congestive heart failure did not occur with aliglitazar doses below 300 micrograms. These were encouraging findings, and the investigators say the drug should move on to Phase 3 investigation. The study was funded by F. Hoffman LaRoche, AG, Switzerland. Research was presented on type 1 diabetes and four genetic variations of the disease significantly associated with poor glycemic control. No specific genetic markers for glycemic control had been previously identified in diabetes patients. 
In order to identify genetic loci influencing glycemic control in type 1 diabetes, researchers analyzed A1C testing data from the Diabetes Control and Complications Trial, an NIH-sponsored study known as the world's most well-documented investigation of people with type 1 diabetes. High-resolution genome-wide studies were performed in 667 patients receiving conventional versus intensive glucose control treatment, comparing average A1C values and capillary glucose levels over a -a six-and-a-half-year period. From this analysis, four genetic variations were found to be associated with poor glycemic control. The study's authors suggest that these variations may eventually be used to identify individuals at risk for diabetic complications so that steps could be taken to intensify control or implement other measures. They add that for now, this knowledge may influence the design and analysis of genetic studies attempting to identify risk factors for long-term diabetic complications and lead to new research into the mechanisms of glycemic control. However, it was noted that the overall influence of genes may vary from person to person as well as in response to behavior. For the diagnosis of diabetes, the A1C assay should be the new definitive test. This is the recommendation of an international expert committee assembled by the American Diabetes Association, the International Diabetes Federation, and the European Association for the Study of Diabetes. According to Dr. David M. Nathan, chair of the expert committee, the A1C values vary less than fasting plasma glucose values, and the assay for A1C has technical advantages compared with the glucose assay. Dr. Nathan also pointed out in a statement that testing for diabetes using A1C is more convenient and easier for patients and no longer requires them to perform an oral glucose tolerance test. According to a study published online June 7th in the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with the presentation at the meeting, various treatment strategies for type 2 diabetes result in similar survival outcomes in patients with concurrent coronary artery disease. Researchers randomly assigned about 2,300 patients with both type 2 diabetes and heart disease to undergo either prompt revascularization with intensive medical therapy or intensive medical therapy alone, which consisted of either insulin sensitization or insulin provision therapy. Patients undergoing revascularization were randomized to percutaneous coronary intervention or coronary artery bypass grafting. Primary endpoints were myocardial infarction, stroke, and death. At five years, rates of survival did not differ significantly between the revascularization group and the medical therapy group, or between the insulin sensitization group and the insulin provision group. The rates of avoidance of major cardiovascular events also did not differ significantly among the groups. Overall, the authors found no significant difference in rates of death and major cardiovascular events between patients undergoing prompt revascularization and those undergoing medical therapy, or between strategies of insulin sensitization and insulin provision. Thank you for listening to these conference coverage highlights from the 69th Annual Scientific Sessions of the American Diabetes Association. This meeting took place on June 5th through June 9th, 2009 in New Orleans. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by Health Day.